thanks for taking the time to do this. It is wonderful to speak with you. It is only 10.30 a.m. in the UK right now. So I don't know how long you've been up, but I'll ask you anyway. How's your day going so far? So far, it's been great. I walked to the uh, to the studio this morning, had a bit of fresh air. I'm on my first, no, possibly third cup of coffee. <laughs> but I think I think it's going to be all right. Yeah, I'm good. Are things particularly busy right now? It's it, We are at the home stretch. We are a mere few days away from the release of the phenomenal brand new album, Tempest Veritas. Where is your head at with it right now? Thanks for those kind words. Yeah, it is pretty busy. And um, obviously, the weird thing about making records is you put it all together a very long time before it comes out. So we've all been living with this for quite a long time. And then you have this kind of crunchy period. It always seems to come down to the last couple of days just before when you suddenly realise how much there is to do and how much you've you've got to tell the whole world about it. It's no good to just make it. <laughs> and then, you know, so every time you release something, you always have this cycle of um, it being really crunchy at the last minute. But it's it feels really good because we're finally starting to hear back from people who've been able to listen to it. And it's weird when something is very personal and you've, you you really love it yourselves. And because we, we only really make our music with that in mind we're just trying to make things that we really love to hear and then it's really gratifying to hear other people's um, opinions back and and it's been really positive so far we've had a few reviews come back they've been really positive and people like yourselves have been getting in touch so that feels really really good it's, it's just validation isn't it? everyone needs a little bit of validation <laughs> of course of course um it's such a as you say it's almost part and parcel of the cycle you have to follow this process now and now the process as you say, it seems to be getting longer and more extended in regards to promotion and building and waiting and releasing singles and getting feedback until you get to that full release. So this has this week been particularly busy in regards to pushing and promoting and just having, well, doing stuff like this, I guess, talking to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, and it was uh, last week as well, actually. Um, I mean, it was weird because when Semaphore came out, uh, it was slated for release before the kind of pandemic. So it was due to come out in June 2020 and we decided to push ahead with that rather than waiting till afterwards, which would have been a really bad idea because it was, it definitely would, would have been a lot longer. Um, but it was weird because we, every single um, bit of press was done kind of remotely and it was all very intangible. But I think what that's done actually is set up this kind of environment where everyone feels pretty comfortable doing what we're doing right now. And that's been really good because suddenly you can talk to, you know, journalists all over the world and uh, you can get people in other parts of the world to hear what you're doing I think that's been really positive so in a weird way I think uh, 2020 kind of set a precedent for uh, the new way in which a lot of this was was going to go forward so it feels familiar in that way although I'm not at home in like my kids playroom on zoom I'm <laughs> at the studio which feels slightly better but um yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't mind it. I mean, uh, when you make something, when you when you're involved in a creative, artistic endeavor like this, you have to kind of love it, and you have to love talking about it, and it has to be a passion for you. Otherwise, you really wouldn't do it because it's, you know, it takes an immense amount of effort. So I always find it really rewarding to talk to people about what we've done because it's it not in an arrogant way or a sort of self-obsessed way, but just because I'm really excited by it and I'm really interested in it because it's our music that we love to make. So I don't mind talking about it at all. <laughs> Well, it's good to hear that because ultimately when you are this close to release, the excitement 
there's an argument it could uh, dissipate to a certain degree. You have, as you yeah. said, lived with this record for a long time. So you yeah. may have already moved on musically. It, you may just want to get to that stage where you want to get it out. Did you have that over the last couple of months? And has it kind of turned into a refreshed excitement as we do get to the last few days? Yeah, it's weird. I've definitely, because once you've finished something like this and it's all mastered and you've kind of, especially because um, the three of us in the band are all producers and we self-produce, we self-record. I mixed the whole album. Uh, apart from mastering, we did everything ourselves. So mm. you're all over it. You're very, very close to it. So there's always a period when you just finished it. Now, this is probably true for a lot of bands, actually. A lot of sort of bands who've got that DIY sensibility. Um, you really don't want to listen to it, particularly when it's just been finished, because you've just been doing nothing but obsessing over details for a long time. And then it's quite nice to have that gap where you come back and people start asking you questions about it. And you start re-listening to the stuff and you start kind of listening to it fresh. So actually, weirdly, like release day is probably the the next time I'm going to listen to the full album. And it'll be the <laughs> for quite a while. It'll be really nice and refreshing. I'm sure if you ask people, that's probably quite similar for lots of bands. They don't they don't really sit there listening to their record over and over again once they've made it. But once it comes out, it gives you the uh, the sort of the duty and the right to listen to it again. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. And you already kind of mentioned uh, reviews coming in and getting positive feedback in that. But another aspect of, um, I think, some of this really good feedback is that in the build up when you're releasing singles uh, and you're getting the response from listeners, whether in the comment section on social media, YouTube, yeah. etc., the positive response surrounding the single so far, has that helped ease your mind in regarding how you feel the full thing will likely be received? Yeah, I mean, I'm sat somewhere between total stoicism where I know that I like it and I, and I don't really mind if other people like it or not. And like complete insecurity that, that people won't like it. <laughs> mm. you, can't, you can't get away from that. Anyone who says that is basically lying. Um, everyone likes to know that people are actually behind what they're doing. But yeah, definitely. When you start to get a good response from the singles, you start to think, OK, cool. We're not like completely barking up the wrong tree. To be fair, this record is not a huge departure from Semaphore. I feel like what we've done in this record and the last one is really define our sound as a band and really focus it and refine it. And kind of, I feel like we've only really found our feet on, on the last two records, to be honest with you. I think everything else up to that point is more like developing towards this. There's some really good moments in the previous two records, but I think Semaphore was the first time where I was like, okay, this actually really does represent what we do in a in a very real way. And I think Tempest is like a refinement of that. So in that way, I felt pretty comfortable with that. And I think if mm. we were so, if we were suddenly going, oh, we're going to do like a grindcore record next, or um, or like a total acoustic record or something, I'd be a lot more nervous that people wouldn't get it um, because they probably wouldn't. <laughs> but I think with this, if you anyone that's liked bits of what we've done before was definitely going to find something to like in this record i'm sure of it um and i because i just feel like it's us even more so pushing into what it is we really want to do what and, and that that basically is um keeping things really punchy and, and and really exciting and kind of condensed and kind of compressed but still really progressive and intricate and technical within that so it's almost like the song structures are as lean and mean as they can be whilst keeping things moving forward and it's not sort of just a boring systematic structure way of doing things um and i feel like that's it's actually an art form in its own way we're not trying to say you know we could easily say let's make an eight minute song but that's not really what interests what, what interests us is what are we trying to say overall for the concept of the album how does each song work within that concept and then 
how does each section of that song make you feel and, and what impact does that have and how does that progress into the next one? I'm obsessed with like the way the sections transition into each other and stuff like that. And that's mm. that, the, the result of that is these sort of short format. It is quite a short record and they're short format songs. But for me, it's because they're refined and they're lean. And I really, I, I don't know, us, uh, me, myself and the guys have been really enjoying that about it, I think. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty confident that it just represents um, a more refined version of what we've, what we've, what we do. I love your choice of words, Dan. I love the fact that you're using the word refinement because in, although I am just one person, in my opinion, you are delivering what is arguably your finest work to date here musically alongside fascinating imaginary, imaginary narratives. Now, talk to me then about your what your vision looked like when you initially set out on this path. Uh, well, it didn't come concept first. Um, it, it our stuff is always music first so non-lyrical um music first so it'll be like a little moment like a, i think even way back when we were releasing semaphore um mm. i wrote a little riff that became deny the sun so it's been a long time coming. i'm a little bit worried actually because we probably need to get a motor on with writing new riffs now for the next record because i'm just aware that we haven't done that um but what I mean is that there's there's like a little germ of an idea and then together, very, very, very collaboratively, the three of us will flesh out that riff, program drums to it, put bass parts in it, just keeping it instrumental. And then once we're happy with that sort of structure, and it will be like a finished song structure, essentially, because we'll be keeping this in mind as we go. We're not, we're not just writing like a, a, a riff and then moving on to the next riff. We're thinking about it as sections. So we're writing a verse section, but we're not concerned about what the melody will be. Then we'll sit down and come up with melodic ideas. Mm. And only then, pretty much, I can't quite remember. We probably came up with the concept partway through this process, but it's only then that we start thinking about lyric. So, and we do that again, all three of us together. It's a completely co-written um, thing. So the concept came about when we had quite a lot of music ready, but we hadn't, we hadn't really delved into any lyrical stuff yet. And we were trying to think of a way that, because what we did on Semaphore with the sci-fi theme was take away the sort of personal side of songwriting and just turn it into a storytelling exercise. But that gives you the uh, a way of talking about things you could never experience mm. and therefore gives you, in the same way that, you know movies and games do gives you the ability to talk about all sorts of different things and of course that's going to be through your own set of experiences and the kind of lens you see the world through which i i personally think is really freeing and 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 it stops you from coming up against the thing of well if i haven't experienced it it's not a real song but you know i've said this before but you know tolkien didn't go to mordor it's <laughs> you know he just made it up and it's a really interesting story and couched within that narrative are all of his viewpoints and his his amazing kind of um landscapes that he saw in the world so and that's the same thing which that's that, that's the same thing we're trying to do so the concept probably came about like halfway through and just from us talking we were like what's a what's a really cool thing we thought well we've done sci-fi so let's do hi-fi let's do historical let's go backwards instead of forwards um and uh, we had a lot of fun researching all the different ideas it would be just like a some would say what, what about like a holy grail thing and then we're like okay mm. wicked let's search about that and then that that would that turned into the song weakness for example so yes yeah, it, it was a really fun way of doing it considering the wealth of inspiration you could draw from did you find yourself struggling to narrow down your potential ideas 
I think we were probably just inspired by things randomly. And then they, it wasn't sort of, I don't think very often that we sat there going, let's pick a moment in history. There's a little bit of that, but it was more like, I don't know. uh, I've been watching both like Vikings and uh, Last Kingdom, for example, really, really cool um, shows. The the Bernard Cromwell books are amazing. Um, So that made me think, okay, well, that would be a really cool thing, but not, not like the kind of, raiding sword fighting swashbuckling mm. bit or what happens after that person then settles down and becomes like a farmer in a new land it's like you know what happens to their state of mind and and how do they bring their culture uh, and and how does how is the new culture they find themselves in going to affect their state of mind and that became the raven so it was more like an inspiration or, or, or last ronin which was inspired by vagabond which is a manga and um it's about a Japanese swordsman, Maimoto um, Musashi, who was like the most renowned swordsman. You know, he'd won every single duel he'd been in, and he kind of ended up as an old man uh, with nothing to prove, nothing, no one to beat, nothing to do. And then it's how do you how do you reconcile that with this life of pushing yourself and being ambitious and trying to beat everybody, and then suddenly you end up on top of the pile. And he kind of put all of his life experience into his writings and then kind of pass them on to one of his apprentices and popped his clogs so it's and that became last round so it's, it's less to do with just sitting there think, thinking what can we talk about and more just when something pops up just thinking that might be a good thing to explore and then you can do some research on it and try and, and figure out how much you're just making history up and how much it's actually based in reality of all those narratives you did explore, uh, was there any that you particularly found the most interesting or exciting to tell? Perhaps that you weren't initially maybe as familiar with compared to others? All of them were kind of like that, actually. It always started off as being something that we were um, could have vaguely thought might be cool. And then they more, mm. was only, when we dug into something, if we then found a pocket of real interest we'd be like aha so for example deny the sun being about um galileo uh i hadn't realized before that he was friends with the pope at the time he'd asked him for help and they'd kind of you know, it was pope urban the eighth um was galileo's mate and and it was more it was more him saying i've worked this stuff out and i'm fairly sure this mathematically must be the case like what are we going to do you know and it's and, and, and so that song is about the the pope is from his point of view and it's it's caught in that moment, that kind of sleepless uh, night of not knowing what how you're going to reconcile this new information with your current kind of worldview. Um, so that was the thing where in, you always have these like mythology, mythological kind of stories in your head, like oh yeah, well uh, no one believed Galileo, but it isn't quite that simple. It was more like the actual entire way the state was run and organised had a system and this information upset that system and it was a huge problem for all these people on a political level not it wasn't just a question and people didn't believe him they wanted to believe that he'd done his sums right they just they couldn't reconcile the two things and not completely destroy their whole society so i find that kind of stuff very interesting and the kind of hidden sort of bits of i I guess sometimes you're dealing with stuff where it isn't really recorded so there's a lot more guesswork there like i don't think anybody really knows um about some of these things but stuff where it's quite well recorded and quite well researched was really interesting to find out those little bits of information although again you've got to take it all with this kind of you know history is always written after the fact and there can always be mistakes and that, that's the whole p- premise of the the songs is that what if 
that was an, a misunderstanding or what if that was actually an error and it never really happened like that but it's all putting yourself in that moment where anything could have happened yeah an aspect of the record that is simply incredible is the fact that while you can enjoy it from a musical perspective shut your brain off if you want and listen to it and enjoy it and that aspect if you also then want to spend some time reading the lyrics following the path and understanding the stories that you're telling here and I guess it just opens up this bigger wider world where you almost want to understand and research yourself that uh, the elements that you're talking about totally I think that's really fun I mean certainly when I listen you know we're not making kind of mainstream uh, pop and not every movie can be Transformers. Not every movie can be French art house cinema. You know, there's got to be something in between. Um, and I really like the fact that heavy music allows this kind of experimentation. And and that's another reason to take it away from the personal. So you can make it about these slightly bigger issues that are more interesting. In the same way that like every zombie film ever is not really about the zombies. It's always about the people and their relationships. And that's far more interesting and and, and real. And what they're actually doing is shining a light on human relationships <laughs> by framing it in this like god-awful post-apocalyptic nightmare but that's fascinating that's heavy music in a nutshell isn't it it's the it's the horror genre in a lot of ways so certainly for like death metal where it's in, it's just investigating all these little interesting pockets of what it means to be human and it's, it's big it's big stuff that's what's most interesting to me it's an incredible analogy. Immediately my mind went, yeah, 100% right. What is, using the zombie one, what is the most famous zombie movie of all, Night of the Living Dead, and what is that really about, about the people inside the farmhouse, less about the zombies at the door? Yeah, or, um, or you know, uh, uh, quite often they end up satiring um, or parodying real life. So, so you know, everyone being sh shut inside a shopping centre was actually more about satiring the way people were turning into zombies in reality, you know, uh, which is the genius of, of those filmmakers, Romero um, and his kind of cohort. But that's, for me, that's always been, that's always been the point. And that's why I never really found that much excitement about, pre previously in the band, um, certainly in the early years, I might like write a full song and just bring that into the guys. We might might jam it musically, but in terms of the, the melody and the lyric, that might be much more personal to me. And that is fulfilling to an extent, but essentially, I, I got quite bored of it just being like a diary entry, you know? Mm. Um, and I, I, I think I've always wanted to push. There's been a few examples of it before. Certainly on, on, on Yugen, a lot of stuff became uh, less about that and more about either a very small, bigger concept or, or like actually just doing what we're doing now. So there's like Praise to the Creature, which is um, that's inspired by um, Nausicaa, the Ghibli movie. That's what that's about, um, and uh, you know, th there's all sorts of there's all sorts of examples where I'm being inspired by fiction or film or you know different media, and this is just the same thing, but except when you give it a, an overall concept, you can be much more focused. And again, you come back to that same thing where you're, you're refining that process. It's not just random. But yeah, I, I got bored of it all being about how I emotionally connected to things on a personal level, and I kind of felt much more comfortable kind of imagine like just using a concept to investigate bigger ideas you make it sound and well it does sound like it's been an incredibly satisfying enjoyable experience along the way to this release what was mm -hmm. then for you overall 
the most challenging aspect of working on the record, be it from the writing, recording, producing phase, whichever? Well, because we're quite an unusual case, well, three of us produce uh, other bands quite often, and I work as a full-time producer and mix engineer in lots of different genres, and we run a commercial studio together. Mm. Um, we're all pretty used to divorcing the technical process from the kind of emotional side of it, which is really important because as an artist, you're absolutely trying to put all of your uh, all of your emotion into what you're doing, but it's still technical tools that allow you to do that well and making ruthless decisions about like, you know what, we don't need to play that verse riff twice <laughs> or, or whatever it is, is actually really useful and really valuable. So we've refined that process as well. And I think we've all been in those, I think everyone who's been in a band has been in some sort of situation before where they've said, oh, well, <laughs> we've got to play Steve's riff twice because he wrote that. And then, you know, this other guy's got a riff. We better do that. And uh, the bass player's got a... it's It becomes this weird, like, committee thing. But if you if you throw all of that in the bin and just say, what matters is whoever has an idea, we all try and support that. And then we we serve the song that exists, regardless of who came up with what. Um, and, you know, if I need to write a bass line or uh, Billy needs to write a vocal line and Dave writes a drum fill, that's fine, as long as we're serving the song. That makes that whole process quite a lot more straightforward and easy. So that actually was... It's probably the easiest it's ever been. It, it felt very, very straightforward. Not because we were, you know, to cut corners, but just because we've refined them. And so I think the hardest thing is always going to be the technical side, just making sure that the mixes are the best they can possibly be. Um, because from my point of view, our own band's work has to be at the top of what I can achieve as a mix engineer. Otherwise, like what? What am I doing? I haven't got anyone else uh, in control or, or pushing me in any other direction. So it's got to be great. And I feel really good about that. Ermin was helpful with some feedback and stuff. He's a fantastic master engineer. So it was, you know, I could, I could help get there. And I feel pretty confident about them now. But that's probably the only the part I found the most challenging. Do you think this this way you're doing things now, this has come with age and experience? I mean, bear in mind, it's only 2016 that we had Archetype. So we're mm -hmm. not like talking decades here. It's only been seven years. Um, but yeah, well, we, the journey so far has been incredible. <laughs> we are definitely talking decades because myself and Billy have been working together since 2003 on different stuff. Um, and uh, Dave joined the band that we formed in 2008. So we've all been working together on other projects for a long time, really mm -hmm. long time. And that, that has absolutely informed that process. Yeah. Um, I think the the mythology of bands is always that they kind of spring up out of nowhere and then they're massive. It's always like a decade in the making. And then, uh, you know, like you look at something like Sleep Token, which is an absolute meteoric rise, but not really because those certainly um, Vessel, the, the main guy, he's been, he's been doing music his whole life. It's all, it's all come to that point. And sure, it's all come together really beautifully in the last few years for them. But if somebody is really good at something, they probably spent a really long time getting good at it. That's that's the thing. And and then the rest of it is just this sort of like, you know, grass is greener, streets are paved with gold mythology stuff. But in real life, it takes a long time and it's really hard work. And the only thing that connects every successful artist is the fact that at no point did any of them just quit because most people quit. <laughs> that's what really happens. And so, yeah, the more experience, the more age you have, the better in that respect, for sure.
Yeah, I completely understand um, what you're saying. You, It is funny, as you say, I don't think I've spoken to anybody that literally has just popped up today and gone, yep, today I'm going to make music. And it's worked out brilliantly. Everybody's noticed the record's out and it's off and rolling. Sometimes it happens, right? And and it happens in a sort of, uh, there's just a moment. And like someone who's maybe like 17 just gets swept up in a big moment. But very rarely does that have a happy ending because normally they lack the personal development to actually control that situation. They're either getting completely exploited by somebody who has got all the experience to know what they're doing or it just explodes. I kind of, I don't even really particularly trust it when it when it, when it it does uh, go quickly for people. I think that's always a sign that there's something going wrong. Um, but yeah, you never know. Was there anything particularly different about this uh, entire experience, the work on Tempest Veritas, that... Um you simply loved it was different for you personally and would it be something that you tried to make as part of your process going forward um i think we've definitely established the the way we work best now which is however idea is formed and sometimes that could be jamming together as well which is definitely a possibility that does happen um we then revert to taking it into the into one room together and working on it in a kind of a very collaborative way I can't see that ever changing. Um, the I don't know. I mean, I don't really feel like there was there wasn't a sea change in this. There was loads of technical stuff that you know made life easier, but in terms of actual creative process, like methodology, mm. I, I can't see. I, I can't see. Any, there wasn't anything on this that was vastly different from Semaphore. Um, it's just a more refined version of that same process. So I think I feel like we've actually now arrived at something that's probably repeatable. Um, one thing I think we might have to do, though, is give ourselves some kind of interesting creative push, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, where I'm not saying we're just going to decide randomly that our next record is like a grindcore record. But I think it could be quite cool to say, let's experiment with some longer form music. Let's experiment with some stuff that is more ambient and doesn't rely so heavily on a pop structure, for example, and see where that takes us. Um, maybe we want to slow things down. Maybe it should be sludgy, sort of doomy, some bits like that. I don't know. Whatever we're invited, it, it could be interesting to see because I think there is a certain number of times that you can have an approach and without sort of changing that deliberately, you will repeat yourself. You know, that's that's just inevitability. So we will need to find a way of keeping that fresh. But because what we do comes from a place of kind of fairly genuine passion and inspiration anyway, I, I don't think that's a huge issue. There's definitely a few times. You should see the the riff graveyard that we have. Like we have plenty <laughs> of things where we said, you know, that's not the one. That's not, that's not, that's too, you know, similar to something else. Or um, it's just... Uh, I think every everyone who's who's got a, a, a workflow that is working for them will end up with uh, with that process for sure, resulting in some unused stuff. I think you're absolutely right, um, and it's it's going to be uh, incredibly exciting to see what comes from you next. But right now, the focus is all on Tempest Veritas. It is out in a few days' time. But the record is one thing. Playing these songs on a stage is another. You have Loom Festival the day after the release. Will you be debuting uh, some of the new album there? Uh, yeah, we absolutely will. Um, uh, not not like loads of it, but a couple of tracks for sure. Um, and uh, that is going to be the first time that that's possible to see. I can't guarantee how effortlessly we'll be able to pull it off, but we'll see. 
<laughs> suddenly seeming like a very long time since our last show back in uh, like October time. Um, we are also going to be uh, supporting a band called Empire, funnily enough, the, the week after. Um, and then we are in uh, on a headline tour in at the back of June. So that's going to be really exciting. And I, I, that's where I really want to see people uh, you know, enjoying the new material that could be that could be great. I think asking everybody to absorb the whole album in one day and then sing it back to us on the Saturday might be a bit a bit of a tall order. But um, in June, hopefully, people have had a chance to have their favourites, and we'd love to hear from people about what they'd like to see in the set as well. Um, with the caveat that some of it is just devastatingly hard to play, so I would, uh, please pick the easy songs. <laughs> Oh, so do you, do you have an idea, rough idea of kind of what songs you do want to play on the stage? I'd love to play all of them. I mean, um, obviously, all the singles are going to find their way into the set. I'm sure we've 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 uh, definitely got "Deny the Sun" and "The Raven," um, and, uh, and and "Glory" and "Scarlet" will be in there for sure. I'm really interested to see how people resonate with "Scarlet Haze" because. For me, that's like the big anthem of the album. And it's it potentially is a bit of a risk dropping that as the focus track for the day of release. It's not a, a big riffy kind of metal-y song. It's way more uh, in, in the kind of um, arena sing-along kind of vibe, if you like, if you want to give it like a like a, like a a label. Uh, it's more like Winter Keeps Us Warm from Semaphore. But we get a great response for that live. People love singing it back to us. So I feel like... If it's like that, that's going to be great. I just don't know how people are going to respond. Uh, you know, sometimes I guess you get different types of fans, but a lot of people are really are there for the big riffy moments, and there's plenty of that on the record. Um, but it, but but Scarlet Haze is definitely like a sing along. The difference is, I think, when we're doing something with a chorus like that, we are very deliberately crafting it so it's going to stay in your brain and you're going to remember it, and and it's it's a big hook. So I'm really hoping that it's going to just be an earworm for people and they'll they'll love it. Um, but yeah, I it's hard because now with with four records there there's quite a lot to choose from for a you know an hour long set so it's definitely not going to be every single song there's still plenty of songs from semaphore we've never played live um there's probably a fair few that we just have never played full stop <laughs> so it's the, it's the, the the way they're made uh, means that they very rarely get jammed out yep well, that, that, that's for the anniversary shows many decades down the line when you're 20 years doing a celebratory 20 year show. We'll, for be, we'll be far too old by then. There's no there's no way we'll be making Lars Ulrich like a spring chicken. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is a thing, isn't it? We'll be like, you know, 20 years of, of seven four. Let's hope that it's got that kind of legacy. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't, you've already mentioned the end of June, beginning of July. I can't wait. You're in my neck of the woods as well. So if you are like, from London, people, 229 is where you guys are going to be playing. Um, is the goal then for the rest of the year just to try and stay as busy as possible right now? Do you have many plans in the works that you can talk about or is it just wait and see right now? Um, yeah, it is. There's there's de there's plenty of plans um, and also plans for going overseas as well. Um, obviously, you know, touring took a massive hit and it's been it's still a bit of a nightmare, to be totally honest, for, for bands of our size. I think if you're an arena level band, it's maybe a bit more sustainable. But it's uh, people need to understand that if you are a band and you're playing two to three hundred capacity venues, it is costing you money to do that. There's no way that anything else is happening, especially if you're in Europe. So it's pretty interesting being behind the scenes of the industry um, and the difference in that and being a fan, uh, mm -hmm. kind of understand 
what it takes to put to put a band on the road um and that's become more more and more real for every artist so i think my main message on that uh is it is unbelievably vital that people support their favorite bands and they and they go and see them and they buy their merch and those kind of things because they will just have to quit if, if that isn't the case and that's that would be incredibly sad but so our thing is just to, to fill our calendar up as much as possible absolutely and um definitely to start writing some new material because that, that is going to get ahead of us if we're not careful um we're all very very busy as well making records with other people which is fantastic but it takes up obviously a lot of our time so keeping busy is never a problem it's more uh what do we uh, choose to focus our time on um so that's going to be uh that's going to be the big question no i understand speaking of time we're at the end of the interview the stage where we have randomized questions 10 of them quick fire answer them as you quickly or as long as you want and they are random they can be silly serious and so on um so good luck with this we will begin with a nice simple one for you, the best thing about being a Black Orchard Empire right now is? Uh, the undying hope that people will actually like our record. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. What is your favourite city to visit in the world so far? The absolute favourite city of mine that I've ever been to is London. <laughs> but I've been to lots and lots and lots and there are some fantastic places around the world and many, many more that I want to go to. But... If you live in London, you need to take a minute and realise how incredible the city is as a place of culture and amazing things to do. And, uh, you know, travelling around Europe maybe isn't as easy now as it used to be. There are some incredible places to go and see. But uh, you're very lucky if you live in London. That's what, I'm, that's what I'll say. I, I understand what you say. Obviously, I live in London. It's easy to forget <laughs> when you live here all the time uh, it, what's around you. It is. Have you ever used a Ouija board? And if not, would you? I haven't because I don't think I've, I've had the opportunity since perhaps maybe I wasn't invited to the right slumber parties at school. But um, I, yeah, I haven't ever used a Ouija board. And uh, I don't think I would, but uh, I probably would if I was drunk. That's it. Alcohol. <laughs> what? What is your most prized possession? Oof. Um, oh god, there are so many amazing cheesy options. Mm. Obviously, I love all of my guitars and stuff. The 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 mixing console we have at the studio is nerdy but pretty special. So I'm gonna say that, even though I don't own it personally. But I, I'll take it. I love it, I love it. I can imagine it It'll pricey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what has been your Black Orchard Empire career highlight so far? Um, having our band name constantly misinterpreted as Black Orchard Empire, not Orchid Empire. <laughs> Got you. Sorry. But it is true. M most people don't say Orchid. <laughs> you know what? You will, you, will, you will laugh at this, but I spent my time last night at work training myself not to say Orchid. You have, I'm sure you've said Orchid several times, and then that one was an Orchard. But we've been there introduced live on stage as Black Orchard Empire many times, and it's difficult It's difficult to avoid, so I thought I'd bring you up on it. But thanks for the effort. <laughs> there it is. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, simple then. Cats or dogs? And why? Oh, well, I've got a cat, so I have to say cats, but I love cats and dogs. <laughs> Who is someone that inspires you outside 
of the musical world? Um, Ian M. Banks. Well, Ian Banks, but most popularly uh, Ian M. Banks, because that's the sci-fi name he uses. That was the biggest what? inspiration for, for sure. Is there any uh, why? Is there? Can you narrow it down as to why why him specifically? He sadly died, but he's uh, one of the most incredible sci-fi authors um, ever for me, um, and up there with all the greats, more modern, um, and I guess came to fame in the kind of mid nineties, I'd say. Um, but has written the most consistently brilliant selection of sci-fi books that push the boundaries of creativity in ways that I'd only ever I'd never experienced before um and is like vitally important so yeah it's it's that's definitely something that people should check out incredible okay you may not want to share this one but I'll try it and see if you want to talk about it what is the most embarrassing thing that has happened to you on stage I mean, so many things have happened to me on the stage that are embarrassing. It's hard to narrow down. But one particularly good one was when we were supporting uh, Heavy in um, the parish in Huddersfield in 2016, I think it was. And um, I went to dive into the crowd. But the thing I stood on, which was a monitor speaker, was on a beer crate. So it just rolled over. So I went up in the air with my feet facing the sea and landed on my ribs on the monitor speaker um and then had to do the rest of the like 14 date tour which we were self-driving uh with like really badly bruised ribs and into the bargain it did not look cool it was a very un it wasn't like oh what a hero it was just sad and uh, no one should have seen that <laughs> oh i mean i'm glad you're able to carry on because as you said that could have been that could have been so much worse I didn't drop a note, but uh, but I did very badly hurt myself. <laughs> what a pro. What a pro. All right, penultimate. Well, what is something that never fails to make you smile? Oh, um, our front of house tech, Martin Hall, because he has a one pun per day limit that he almost always exceeds. <laughs> he's, he's seeing a pun, a pun deficit. <laughs> incredible and the last one we started with the best things let's do the last what's the worst thing about being in black orchid empire right now if smash. there is anything that you would consider bad you smashed the pronunciation um there is nothing bad about it except for the sort of horrifying fact that we have to learn how to play some songs that were written uh you know in sections in the studio we have to somehow play all of them note perfect so that's going to be really really difficult especially as a three-piece so wish us luck on that one good luck um but i also have complete faith in you because uh tempest Veritas is an incredible album it is the strongest work you've ever put out to date and i think it's going to be phenomenally i hope it is going to be phenomenally successful for you 14th of april via season of mist paul i really appreciate your time thank you so much for taking the time to do this thanks very much for having me mate it's been an absolute pleasure Thank you very much for watching. If you liked what you saw, please help us out by giving us a thumbs up and hitting that subscribe button. If you really liked what you saw, consider donating to keep the website and channel running by buying us a coffee via our coffee page or picking up some merch from our Big Cartel store. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as via our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as listen to our interviews via SoundCloud, Apple Music, and Spotify. Just search for GBHBL.
games, horror, and heavy metal. What else is life for?